Guy. On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses the seminal Queensryche album, Operation Mindcrime. Hi and welcome to Progressive Polaris, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this very wonderful episode of Progressive Polaris, I'm joined by my very good friends Tom Corcoran, Ken Gregory, and Paul Zotter as we reach Queensryche's Operation Mind Crime. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, 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 welcome to the Progressive Palaver episode, almost 34 years in the making, even if we didn't realize it at the time. <laughs> Fucking Operation Mind Crime. Now, this is, uh, I, I, we've been talking and, and starting and stopping Queensryche for months at this point. In, in real time versus, you know, when this is coming out. And when we first started prepping for, for the Queensryche episode, I mean, I always knew that the main sequence, as, as we're calling it here, for the warning, Rage for Order, Mind Crime, Empire, and Promised Land was going to be sweet and delicious and wonderful. What I wasn't necessarily prepared for was the complete love affair that I have developed with Operation Mind Crime above and beyond all the rest of those. Not to take anything away, but the 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 things that I have found in Operation Mind Crime as we started to prepare for this have just blossomed into this wonderful <laughs> garden of of loveliness. And and I've a just garden been, party? It, 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 I've been dying freaking mm. dying to talk about it and we always are like wait no we gotta wait for four weeks oh god damn it oh oh we're almost there no we gotta wait for three weeks go fuck you know so <laughs> here we finally are now describes our whole yeah I, it, it really does it really does i mean i i have been listening to the same playlist of Queensrÿche that i put together Four months ago, when I visited my mom, and we were just <laughs> someone when I was driving down there, and and I just like the Queen's Reich playlist is called Trip to Bunnies, and um, <laughs> nice. it's it's it has seemed like forever. I, it was it's funny, Joe, because today, as has happened many times in the last four months, at the end of my workday, I cranked up some Operation Mind Crime, and I stood in front of my my stereo, and I blew off some steam by screaming at the top of my lungs, trying to sing Jeff Tate. And it occurred to me that just, we could talk about mind crime for four episodes, just our love of the music. And then you sent that picture the other day of all of the volumes of yeah. information that you've been going through. And I was like, We're, we could talk about this for four months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's 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 absolutely amazing, and, and and that's 
probably a pretty good segue um, into you know what what I've been dealing with because normally when we do, when we do an episode, I have whatever old ratty CD that I've been dragging around for however many years, or maybe I'll go out and buy a new CD. But it's normally one CD. It's usually not you know any sort of expanded thing. Let's talk about what I have for Operation Mindcrime. Oh, God. That's going to be a whole episode, just, just <laughs> listing all these. I have the original <laughs> CD that I presumably bought back in 1988. I have the expanded remaster, which was released in 2000 and something or another. I have the, the Super Duper Deluxe Edition that we were talking about that has Mind Crime, two audio-only versions of Live Crime, mm. um, and a video with Operation um, Operation Live Crime, as well as... Yeah, that's just it. Oh, and, and this other one called Overseeing the Operation, which has some extended versions and some live versions of stuff. Wow. Um, as well as... When I bought the extended CD version with the video, I also bought the newly redone double LP version. And so that's a lot of freaking Operation Mind Crime. And it's all that's, beautiful. That's seven wow. discs. Wow. And when we first wanted to, to talk about Queensryche, I had to go to... 1,001 <laughs> albums you must listen to before you, or you must hear before you die. And imagine my disappointment when no Queensryche albums are listed. I How? thought for sure Operation Mindcrime would make that list. I mean, 1,001 records and they couldn't find any room for any Queensryche? No Queensryche. Ugh. No Rage for Order. No Empire. No Operation Mindcrime. It wow. is, well, it's a travesty. It's a, an abomination. Oh, There's been a lot of suspect about that book, but but now that's just... But the good news is, between the super deluxe CD version that I just bought and the expanded remaster from however long ago, we do have some really good hyperbole to read, ah. as well as some excellent background on the story for Operation Mindcrime. Ah. But... Before we do that, I want to start off this episode by making a very, very bold, yet carefully couched statement. And that statement is, to me, Joe Beauclair of Progressive Palaver, Operation Mind Crime is, without a doubt, the single best concept album of which I am aware, period. Fuck off. Fight me if you don't agree. Wow. Wow. Laying down the gauntlet. Holy shit. Yeah. Nice. I was going to say, this is what Peter Gabriel was trying to do in The Lamb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it... Oh, wow. There's, there's just so much here. I mean, in terms of, of storytelling, world-building... Sound design, um, integration of of music and lyrics, I, I and 
absolute stellar production. I think it's it, you can't argue with it. I just there it just it's so freaking amazing to me that I just that's the way I feel. Whew. Wow. I feel like well, I mean we we could probably talk for hours about what could be competitive but but <clears throat> it's certainly in my top 3 and any given moment it could be number number one i think the, the the and maybe this is part of it joe for me that the thing that's been most amazing listening again to operation mindcrime after all of these years and and it's similar to brave but it's it's the way they capture the environment and the scenery of the characters you know, not just the characters, but you yep. really sort of like it, maybe I was just too young and naive, but you know, listening to this now, like the whole bit about, you know, how the drugs are controlling Nikki and how it's being used against him, but how it's, you know, it, I, and, and its impact on the, the streets and the, the impact that it has on, Nikki and Mary and the, presumably all of the other characters. It, I feel like they capture it so well. It is, um, and it just, it keeps getting better. That, I mean, I keep going, I keep thinking I'm going to go back to Queensryche and go, oh, how, how did I like this yeah. when I was younger? Like, uh, and I just keep liking it more and more. Really? Just, it's yeah, crazy. Exactly. It just keeps getting better for sure. Unbelievable. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Hey, you know, a little tidbit, a, a little fun little fact. Bruce Dickinson actually favors Operation Mindcrime over Iron Maiden's concept album, Seven Son of a Seven Son. Really? <laughs> well, I, yes. Come on, that's not even a choice. Bruce Dickinson's but, uh, not uh, a choice. Seven Son is a good album, though, I it, will say that. It, it is, yeah. but in but terms the thing of is, storytelling? The actual singer... The actual singer of the band says that typically, wow. I mean, we all would agree that, but I mean, imagine like the singer of, you know, your band saying that something else is better. I mean, that's, that's a lot saying yeah. a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can argue with you, Joe. I mean, it would be a fun episode to put up the best concept albums. And, and, and maybe we have just found ourselves a bonus episode for one of those weeks when we don't know what else to do. We can, Ice. we can, we can throw, you know, the concept albums that we've either talked about or are aware of into the, uh, the steel cage and see what comes out. I, I mm. like it. It's great. Yeah. So when I didn't find Operation Mindcrime in 1001 albums, you must hear before you die. I went out to the interwebs and said, there's gotta be, you know, a couple of, of lists that, that list Operation Mindcrime in terms of the the greatest concept albums. No. No, there's not. I found one from some place called newarena.com. I have no idea who wrote it, when it was mm. written. Um, but they have Operation Mindcrime as number 22 out of their top 25 best concept albums. And to give you a little bit of flavor, the top of their list is Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys at number one, Sgt. Peppers by the Beatles at number two, 
Tommy at number three, Ziggy Stardust at four, and The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway at five. Mm. Just to give oh. you a little, oh. a little, little flavor. And, Probably and, gives you some insight to the demographic that those uh, those authors populate. Yeah, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate the phases of Queensrÿche and the phases of Jeff Tate. And I realized the other members of the band, particularly Chris DeGarmo, were very significant in the composition here in Mind Crime. But the genesis of the story, most of the lyrics, really came from Jeff Tate, which is why he took the name Operation Mind Crime in the divorce, and why he named a band Operation Mind Crime, because this was really personal to him. Jeff Tate, I can sum up in three phases. Are you ready? I am ready. Ready. Jeffrey Priest. This is the Judas Priest style Jeff Tate of the early screamy kind of stuff that I, I adore just because it's so Beavis and Butthead and I will, I will never not like it when I hear it. It's take hold of the flame. It's that whole period. And then as he grows up and he gets proggy, I call it close to the Jeff. It's, it's like everything I want it to be. It's like story, it's concept, it's drama. It is fantastic. Now, some of what we get in the later period, I call metal hip-hop. And this is insane clown Jeffrey. Wow. <laughs> so, they're, they're the three periods. Now, 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 thankfully, he didn't stay in the metal hip-hop. Phase and I love Slipknot and 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 you know just the other day I saw Doug Pinnock posting from a corn show and I consider mm -hmm. that you know metal hip hop and it's actually pretty good. Um, but those of us who are trying to stay close to the roots of this and, and, and to the best part of it, I think you gotta say when you look at the the phases of Jeff that the this is this is his best. This is his peak. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there there's no doubt. And and you know what's funny about the concept of phases, Ken, is that while that and and I think your characterization is fantastic, there there really is no phase to this part of of Queensryche. Everything they do is different. Like I I was just kind of marveling the other night, how I've totally taken for granted my whole life that this album came after Rage for Order. It sounds nothing like Rage for Order. Nothing like it. And it's perfect in, in that it's, it's so different. But it's so amazing that they, they turn this. And when th th this did come out, did this come out after And Justice for All or before? It came out before, didn't it? Oh, it's like neck and neck because I remember seeing the I, tour. With yeah, I feel like up. I do feel like because we were listening to this in our senior year and then Justice for All came out like right at graduation because I remember seeing Metallica at the Monsters of Rock. And Justice and, for All was three to four months after this. Okay. Wow. So, yeah. So it similar things were going on there where, you know, I think and Justice for All really had a different sound to it but it was um and not to get sidetracked but just I, it 
it's amazing to me. And Empire, while I think Empire is more more derivative of the sound of Operation Mindcrime, like every album is totally different, and it's it's incredible. It's incredible that they they have they are able to chameleon themselves into whatever it is that that they want to produce, and and that they they allow themselves to do that because. I mean, I mean, think about our, ourselves as younger men when we, you know, playing, playing guitar and looking for tones and like we would never take such drastic, you know, steps from year to year of 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 changing the sound. Like it just, it's just amazing to me that, and and, and maybe it's just fermented all these years in a very good way, and it it just is impacting me in such a way. But it's just amazing to me how they've shifted like that at the same time isn't this album timeless in a way i mean it you know, you feels can, like you, it, yeah. you can date the reverbs and some of the production and some of the guitar sounds and everything but in comparison to the rest of the queensrake album, albums to me this is the one that is kind of the most timeless and you could attribute that to peter collins perhaps I would, I would buy that, Ken. I would definitely call this timeless. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't have a lot of the the real wet sounds of. I mean, like '88, we were really starting to get into, you know, the other hard rock, heavy metal bands at the time were really, you know, cranking up the the Lexicon reverb units, uh, and things were really sounding wet. I mean, now this is a this is a, a full a full body well produced album but i mean it, it doesn't have that sort of super wet late 80s um sound um that that's just the production but i mean the, the the subject matter really gives it a maturity as well that 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 makes it timeless as well so i i would i would definitely think it's timeless one thing i, I just wanted to say you know I, I really think of this era of queensrike as these guys, yeah, it's a hard rock, heavy metal band, whatever you want to call it. But I think of them as artists. I mean, I, I, I really, I think of them as a group of artists that come together to, to, to form something unique and, and deep rather than I think of them as a heavy metal band. And it's for the reasons that you, you said, Paul, I, and we brought this up. In, in earlier Queensryche episodes, uh, certainly during the Rage for Order episode, that, you know, these albums really sound different from one another. And they don't, um, they're doing things because they, they want to do it. And it's, and it's, it's just, the, it's just the right thing for them to do, not necessarily the commercial thing for them to do. And they, they just struck gold with this artistically, you know, sometimes they, you know, I mean, on all these, I mean, there isn't a bad song on Rage for Order or Operation Line Crime. So, I mean, it's not like they, you know, they struck out at, 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 at any point here, but um, I mean, I, I just think of them as artists really. I mean, because this is very deep and, and it is timeless. It's going to be a long episode. It boys. is going to be, it's going to be a very long episode. <laughs> um, you know, what, Paul, when you came in and, and said we could do four episodes on, on this, I'm, you know, I don't necessarily doubt that 
One other thing I want to point out, just sort of as a general connection to us as a group, is that at least some of this was recorded at KGM Studios in Gladwin, Pennsylvania, mm. which is very sweet. Stones throw away. Stones throw away. Hard to imagine. Hard to imagine while we were tooling around in Jay's basement that some of this magic was happening just a few minutes down the road. You know how sometimes we start by telling how we all got introduced to you know this the, the specific album, and I th I think we've told the story many times of Tom showing up in in the lobby. We have, but I, Tom, I'm actually very curious to know like what how did where did you get it when did you get it like. What precipitated that famous morning entry into CB West's lobby with your eyeballs popping out of your face, <laughs> holding up this tiny little cassette? Paul, uh, I, I, I hate the fact that you asked this question because I've been thinking about this all day. Um, I, I literally have been racking my head on this because you guys bring up this story a lot. And I'm like, God some of the favorite things that we talk about on the palaver are what we were doing when we first got that album. Um, and I, I, I could tell you almost verbatim, like what I was doing when I got like every King's X album up to a certain point. And for some reason, I just can't tell you when I got this album or like, you know, well, I certainly hope it when, was the night before our I, story. It, right. <laughs> well, it, it, I'm sure it was, but I can't remember buying it. Like, I don't know. I, I, I really wish I had an answer store? for you because, um, yeah, I, I, I really, I really, uh, I'm sure I was super excited and I would love to recall that and sort of recapture that excitement. Um, I, I will say that, you know, you guys know me from, you know, th this about me that, yeah, and we all have this trait. Whenever one of us really likes an album, we love to share it with each other, right? And I'm just super dramatic about things and, and sometimes animated. And I, I, I really, even now when I hear something, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I got to, you know, play this for the guys or, you know, see what they think. And I, um, I, I, I know that I connected with this immediately but i just can't remember i can't remember for the life of me i can't remember the first list raspberry records um no that was empire that that i now i remember empire yeah empire's a whole different empire. conversation yeah that's a whole different conversation uh i remember empire specifically but i i i can't get i i just can't remember and I, I would love to say I remember now, but I don't remember now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I can't remember now. And it was specifically the cassette, as I recall, right? Which which actually begs the question. You know, I, I was I, at the top of the episode. I talked about you know my my crotchety old CD, but it may very well be that I bought this on cassette first. I don't, I, I don't remember because I don't ever remember shit. But is it is it worth it, Paul, to tell the story at least one oh, last I time? I think it is. So, would you like to? Uh, would no. you like to take that story? Uh, sure. Okay. I, I um. So every every morning, in uh, particularly in our senior year of high school, that we had this. I was just told the story the other day. We had this terrific lobby in the Central Bucks West uh, entrance foyer foyer, 
uh, right by the office where all the students would hang out if you had done whatever the requirements were in order to receive privileges. Right. Yep. You could spend your study halls there. You could spend your mornings there instead of having to go to wherever. And by our senior year, of course, you know, we were uh, smart enough to get privileges. We would all hang out in the lobby. And we spent, I remember spending a lot of time in the lobby talking. We, they had music piping in and we would talk about music. This is where Joe would give me ideas on songs to write. This is where we would talk about our band to people. This was just a place of, of friendship and, and other things. Community, and, if you will. Yes. And so on this one particular morning, before homeroom, before first period, we were all just hanging out. And I remember for whatever reason, like Tom didn't come from like the student parking lot. He seemed to come from like the main entrance <laughs> and almost like everybody just kind of got out of his way. And I don't know if this is true or not, but it was almost like he was crouched, like bending his knees, crouched down, holding his hands up, <laughs> both, ha both hands with the cassette up in front of him, shaking it, eyes as wide open as could possibly be. And he was like, guys, this, this is the greatest album. You have to, oh my God. And it was just, and, <laughs> and I don't even remember what you said. Maybe, maybe, maybe Joe does, but it just, the expression and your hands holding up. And the thing that for me that made it so magical is that I had only been into Queensryche for about like four or five months at that point in time. So I was still reveling in the glory of rage for order and the warning and all of a sudden it was this new thing and it looked completely unexpected after rage for order and and tom your enthusiasm over the brilliance of this album i know exactly when i got operation mind crime it was that same night i literally went home from school and called my mom, who was working at Sears, and I, and I said, "Mom, <laughs> can you do me a can you do me a favor? That that record store right next to Sears. Before you come home, would you mind going in?" And I'm telling this to my mother over the phone. It's Queensrÿche, and I'm spelling it. <laughs> 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 oh. And God love her. She she went and bought me operation mind crime and bought it home for, for me on cassette that that day now we wow. we you you sort of invoked your your mother when you were talking about the playlist earlier so i, I just want to take a moment here and give a very explicit shout out to your mother for being such a fantastic mother and person um <laughs> just in general uh, you know bunny god love you i i miss you terribly <laughs> Oh, that's awesome, Joe. I'll play that for you. Wow. So, so Paul, I'm just curious. So, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great story. So, you did you play it that night? Oh, undoubtedly. When? And every night after that until the end of my freshman year of college, I think. Just for fun, some uh, like you guys know, I wrote a song called Ocean City 88 that regales some tales about our, the end of our senior year. And there's right. a line is there's a line in that song that says I showed you my cassettes and you sang to me. And 
I am when I saying I showed you my cassettes. I am referring to Operation Mindcrime because that was the cassette that I had, and I was listening to it nonstop that weekend. I love oh, it. I love this. Oh my god, that is phenomenal! Absolutely phenomenal. I mean, we could we could go off. Can we? Can we? Can we talk? Oh, can we? Yeah, I was going to ask if anybody had it on vinyl. Okay. Can, well, th- this is actually the uh, this is the the super deluxe CD version, so it's a little uh, bit oh. smaller than a vinyl. Okay. But, but let's let's talk very quickly about some of the visual elements that go into this <laughs> this strikingly different yes um, cover that that you made mention of, Paul. So obviously. Majority of it is black and white. We have Doctor X. I'm assuming it's Doctor X. It actually looks more like Lenin, but Doctor X yeah. in the video looks has a very Lenin look. There yes. are very socialist tendencies in Doctor X's um, agenda. That's on the back. We have Mary, very angry looking nun, superimposed over a large crowd of proletariat and all of that is in black and white now we have we have queensryche operation mind crime in red and white really kind of getting you but in the middle we have this this black and yellow sort of logo now there's a lot going on here if you look at it right we have obviously front and center we have the trireich very very cool in the middle of something that appears to be potentially Mushroom cloud-like, but also has a skull aspect, which is right. ripped off terribly by Jeff Tate in, in his um, <clears throat> skirt, the the legal injunction merchandise. Huh. That is superimposed over what appears to be some sort of a like a, a heartbeat waveform, like you might see from an EKG, mm-hmm. which, you know, mm-hmm. you have that, that heartbeat bit, you've got all of the hospital and doctor parts, but all of that is sort of encased in a a crosshairs. So, mm-hmm. like, the entire story is is right here. So, Ken, when you talked about, you know, mind crime being what Peter Gabriel was trying to do with The Lamb Lies Down Broadway, I think in a lot of respects, this cover was what Genesis was always trying to do, incorporating the full album into a single visual representation. Just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And and that cover that you guys are all just looking at, imagine my poor mother walking out of Sears into the record store (laughs) and and picking that up and thinking, I think this is what Paul wanted me to to buy. I never knew that was Mary. I mean, that is not an attractive nun. Oh, so the face of terror there's there's another thing about that cover so i love the simple uh red and white font of queensreich and there was a point in time in my career where all i did was create powerpoint slides for people and this was like old school when when there wasn't when you didn't plug your computer into the projector yeah and do a slideshow you printed them out on those cell like those clear oh sure slide and you put them on the overhead projectors. And so I made a lot of slides and I made a lot of slides where the titles were in aerial bold with italics and half of it was in like one color and the other half was is was in clear just like the the Queensryche and the Operation Mind Crime font. Nice. Um, 
Yeah. And and hey, no one no one knew. Nobody knew. Hey, hey Joe, can you hold up that um, album again? Oh, glad. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, I'm kind of with Ken on this. Are you sure that's not Nikki? I, I don't think that's. Are, are we? Are we? Thought, are I, are we looking at the same thing? Mary. I've always thought that was Mary. Yeah. So see, you've got the cowl of the of the habit outlining her face. Oh. Okay. Now keep All in, right. keep in mind. All right. You know, they didn't have necessarily the visuals here. And, and I mean, when you think about, obviously, when you, when you present this live, right, you want, you know, you, you want Mary to have certain attributes. But and I don't even know, honestly, who created this album cover, but they probably weren't plugged directly in. I mean, the way album covers usually work, right? You should go and you find someone to put together an album cover for you and you say, oh, give me a nun and some guy who looks like Lennon and a bunch of people and, you know, whatnot. Uh, so yeah. I, I, I can't really speak to it, but I mean, what I'm getting at fundamentally is, is that for all of the tragedy of Sweet Sister Mary, she is not a nice person. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's a, it's a good representation of how she is characterized in the album i think the presentation of mary in the live performance was perfect for the live performance it's you know especially when it was the video um to see her in the flowing white gowns and her hair sort of blowing sort of you know in the wind um it worked perfectly but i feel like it's to joe's point she's you know she's pretty banged up individual what I really like about the, this, this cover, I've always liked, is that to Paul's earlier point, I think that uh, the, the cover, Operation Mindcrime, is timeless, the, the cover. And I say that because they're very flat colors. It's very collage-y. Yeah. And yeah. This, during this time, there was like really like gradients and just there was just a, a, a lot going on with like you really want it to be um, everything had like a lot of depth and shadows and everyone started like getting into like 3d and things like that. So the fact that this, this is a very flat collage um, really sort of gives it an artistic uh, flair that um, I, I, I think helps this album sort of go into the timeless zone. I agree. I agree. I, I was afraid of the cover I'm not a huge fan, but I just love the music and I just put up with the cover. Yeah, I, it didn't really draw me in. I think a lot of musics, a lot of musicians are just artistically impaired and it's the last thing that comes together at the end of the album. That's why Genesis suffered with some not so great covers. Clearly. It, Guys, I have a they, they got lucky here. I mean, I well, mean, it's they wonderful it when when a, when, and we've talked about this in different instances with bands when the cover captures the feel and the experience of the music visually, and I think this isn't this is. I mean, maybe you disagree, Ken, but I think this is an example that does that. And when you think about what we heard in Rage for Order, just looking at this cover. It wasn't a surprise to hear a darker 
flatter tone, if if I can say, of of the of the record, and and it captures it perfectly. Well, and and even and, and Tom, I apologize. We'll get to you in just a second. But even the the title, right? We talked about this. Rage for order is forward looking to what we're going to get here, and so it's not it to me. It's not a complete shock with what we get. Now, Tom, you said you had a confession, and I love confessions. And we're talking about Mary, who's a nun, so let's go for it. <laughs> right. And, and, and this also has to do, while we're talking about the cover, something insane happened today as I was kind of going through all this. I sort of pride myself on noticing a lot of visuals because of my graphic design background, and I, 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 I can really appreciate this and that from, from, from things, especially logos, right? So I, uh, there was a time where I would make logos for companies, and I, I always look at the logos. Guys, I have a major confession that I, I just realized today about something on Operation Mind Crime, and I, 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 I'm, I'm very embarrassed about it. But you know, sure, I'll tell. Why not just you know say it in front of the whole your crew here? I never knew. I, I I never saw as many times as I have seen the cover of this album. I never knew that there was a colon after operation. <laughs> and you guys had brought it up earlier when I was getting water, and that that sort of reminded me. And I I just I, I mean I've seen this album cover and Operation Minecraft countless times, but I, I just never saw the colon. And today when I was going through. And I was sort of learning about Jeff Tate's, you know, new band, Operation Mindcrime. I was texting you guys, and I texted you something about it. And I and I noticed that there was a colon after Operation. I was like, why would Jeff Tate do that? Like, why would he add something to that? You know, I'm like, <laughs> and then I go, so I, I just I went back to my iTunes just to see, just to make sure that that it was different. But and I saw the colon. I was like. Oh, the sleeper word, mind crime. And I'm like, oh my God, I just, I, 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 all the stuff that made sense that there was a colon after operation. Um, and the whole thing came together, but like I had never read it like that. I, and I just sort of like your mind plays tricks on you when you just, when you first don't see something. But I just noticed the colon today. So if if we're, if we're going to, you know, dive down that rabbit hole, Tom, another sort of interesting corollary to that, I believe, is if you look at the cover, the word mind crime is, in fact, not capitalized. It's always capitalized when it's written anywhere, um, you know, in, in, in text, but on the album cover itself, it's operation colon lowercase m mind crime, which, you know, I... I don't know what that signifies, just another sort of, like I said, corollary to exactly what you just described. So interesting. There, you know, we, we've been going here for almost 50 minutes and we have gotten and nowhere near the got, music. And I don't think we Joe, are anytime soon. And, 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 and in that vein, I'm going to ask one more question about the cover. Oh, yes. And, and, and <laughs> that giant, like eight disc pack with all the stuff that's in there, there's, yeah. There's no information about who designed the cover. There's oh, yes. not a single. I, I I honestly didn't look, but 
if okay. You, if you want me to, I can. I it can sounds like maybe, maybe Ken knows. Maybe but Ken in, knows. In, in the wikis, if you look at Rage for Order, in contrast, there's a art director and a photographer credited, but in the wikis for Operation Mindcrime, no one is credited, which makes me think, you know, the band Jeff they they made a collage and they put it together and like, <laughs> oh, this is close could, enough. Could have been. Well, I mean, um, this is, I mean, this is when they started with Q prime though, which is why I'm thinking that it had to be professional. It had to, they had to pull in like some sort of, but, but Mark DeGarmo did a lot for the band Mm. at different points. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was the band and Mark and it just kind of pulled it off. I mean, whoever made that skull was really fucking into it. (laughs) Yeah. Rage for order. Moshe Baraka album photography. Henry Marquez, art direction, Glenn Parsons, design, Operation Mind Crime, silent. Art direction on the on the remastered CD. Now take that for what it's worth, is Michelle as a party. Design is credited to Peter Grant. I mean, that could be for the, the redo. I'd have to I'd have to find my original and see if anyone's credited on that CD. Uh, it's not mentioned explicitly at least not in a way that would make sense in the expanded version so we can look into that because my guess is we're going to talk about mind crime next week quite possibly so we're not anywhere close as i mentioned to getting to the music and and i'm not in a big rush to get uh, there i okay hold on sorry oh oh, oh, oh. the, the oh, research department set. comes through all right, this is this is from March twelfth. So this is the illustrator and cover artist for Queensrÿche's conceptual classic Operation Mindcrime, Charles Wesley Wes Griswold. Oh, he's in the book. Yep. So he passed away in twenty twelve. It looks like, which is what this why this was written. But um, yeah, so it just credits him with saying that. But that's that's all that he he did it. So it was Wes Griswold. Okay. Well, there you go. And see, that doesn't show up in in the remaster. So again, okay. I'm I'm not in any rush to to go through this because there's I think this is a very rich tapestry and I want to take our time and and there like I said there's a lot of hyperbole in the various versions that I have and and one of the things that I just sort of stumbled upon which is very very interesting in the remastered CD and it's not I, there's there's a lot of extra visuals in the super deluxe edition CD. But in in the remaster CD, they have a visual a video storyboard for for Eyes of a Stranger, which is kind of cool. Mm. You know, it's it's little things like that that you get. Um, but there's there's a lot of hyperbole that I want to get into, and we can sort of go around. But in the in the remaster CD, there is a very tight quote from Jeff Tate. That sort of gives us some of the background. And and again, we can explore this more in depth later on. And I quote, The idea for Operation Mindcrime came in a flood one night as I sat in a well on a well-worn wooden bench in the back of a Catholic church. I had stayed behind in snow-covered Montreal at the end of the previous tour, and the city and its people were my muse. One night in a bar called St. Supis, 
I met a I met the man who became Dr. X. The cold, calculating, vicious personality of this man still makes me feel uneasy as I write this. His character and alleged involvement with a terrorist organization, coupled with other personalities I had met on my travels, truly were the inspiration for this record. Nice. Montreal so, so does it Mon- again. Montreal plays a a pivotal role here, and I believe he describes that writing session in great detail. He often describes this period in Canada in the context of being inside, and it's cold, and he runs out of smokes, and he wants to go get a pack of smokes, and he bundles up, and he hits the streets of Quebec. So, so let me let me ask a question to the group here in terms of how we want to proceed. Would we like to go into <laughs> Would we like to go into the sort of the particulars, the timeline of progressive rock, and the particulars for the album before we go back to the hyperbole, or would we like to explore the hyperbole before we get to the the facts of the matter? At this point, I think we should dive into the hyperbole. Okay, allow me to dive into the hyperbole. That bar in Montreal is no longer there, by the way. He was just on an interview oh, really? with a dude, dude from that metal show, and he said he was recently in Montreal, and that bar is not there anymore, which is kind of, kind of funny. If we had known, we could have gone when we were yeah, there. For sure. Oh, my gosh. All right. So research notes by Alex Milas from the Super Duper Deluxe CD edition. It was 1988. Whitney Houston and Rick Astley were chart sensations. Guns N' Roses were the new dons of rock music, and Roseanne and Ronald Reagan were the biggest things on TV. The tidal wave of grunge and alternative was still miles away from shore, while a sea of hairsprayed banality dominated the airwaves without artistic consequence. Meanwhile, from a distant vantage point, a young songwriter surveyed the scene with detached amusement and then returned to his notepad. It's hard to know where a progressively-minded concept album could even fit into that landscape, let alone a dystopian fever dream set in a nightmarish future, an antidote to the saccharine two-dimensionality of so many of Queensryche's contemporaries. Operation Mindcrime was an unexpected sci-fi rabbit hole that bespoke a maturity and consciousness defiance, a conscious defiance of commercial expectation that's difficult not to admire. Ooh. Ow. That's that's impressive. That's Those like are, Peterman impressive. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm surprised it's not in your book. <laughs> now he goes on to describe the you know the the basic story a little bit, but I'm not going to necessarily go into that. But we do get back to some more quotes from Jeff. Quote. We'd just finished opening for Bon Jovi, who were touring Slippery When Wet, and when the tour ended, Mind Crime was born, says Tate. Quote, we were one of those strange bands where record companies just didn't know what to do with us. They'd be like, hey, there's this artist called Kim, parentheses Carnes, who's just done Betty Davis' eyes. Maybe we could go in that direction. That's how they were thinking. I asked the head of the label years later why he thought it all worked out for us, and he was like, quote, hell if I know, we just threw money at it. End quote. Back then, that was the <laughs> recipe for making something happen. You had all these outlets to push what you were doing. It was kind of a recipe for success. End quote. 
It'd be a shame, though, to reduce the deep connection Mindcrime had with its fans, its evocative message, its, highlighted, profound influence on generations of musicians to marketing power alone. If anything... (laughs) Why was that gesture uh, made through that? Because I do do think that, that this record is influential to to literally generations of musicians i that that may be true but to literally uh, and you can't see it to literally highlight it ah seems seems a little over the top okay fair enough this is the hyperbole section that's true it is is the the hyperbole hyperbole section. section what is hyperbole without a good highlight or two if anything can be said of that 59-minute masterpiece, it's that it didn't neatly fit anywhere into 1988's historical narrative, perhaps because, as with all groundbreaking albums, it actually made history. Wow. Operation Mindcrime was more than just music. It was a landmark in every sense of the word. No album before it so convincingly conjured a world around itself, and no album since has remotely approached its crafted ambition without owing something to its sweeping, at times breathtaking, scope, which won it critical praise across the board. Twin singles, Eyes of a Stranger and I Don't Believe in Love, with their unforgettable choruses and hard-edged riffing, courtesy Chris DeGarmo, whose songsmithing abilities were at their absolute peak, made Mindcrime more than just a bold artistic statement, but also an air-punching instant classic. Add in orchestral and choral flourishes, courtesy of famed Hollywood soundtrack composer Michael Kamen, whose other crossover collaborations included Queen, Pink Floyd, and Metallica, among many others. And you've got a work of such sheer audacity and lofty intentions that it's a wonder it was made at all. Has there any any non-prog artist been invoked so many times on this podcast other than Rick Astley? We've got another quote here from Jeff about the, the, the actual moment. So, quote, the way it all came about was kind of weird, he says. After Rage for Order, I decided to stay in Montreal for a while. It was this beautiful, romantic city with old buildings and narrow streets. It was a lot like what you might see in France, and I became really enamored with the place. One night, I was hanging out with friends at a little bar on St. Denis, where I believe, Paul, you and I were. Hmm. We'd go there to talk current events, art, politics, etc. It was there that I met a little group that was part of the underground movement to separate Quebec from Canada. They were kind of these badasses, car bombs, they had guns, which they weren't afraid to use, and they kind of sat in the corner just looking at people as they would go by. There was actually this older guy who I modeled Dr. X on. He had all the answers and he had the respect of everybody. Silver gray hair, smoked a lot. That was a scene I drew heavily from. And we go on to quote Jeff some more. I went out to buy some groceries and I passed this Catholic church. The doors were open and this choir music was pouring out. It was a snowy evening and there was incense in the air. It was just so beautiful, he says. I sat down on a pew and I was like, boom. When you're observing situations and they're influential or inspiring to you, you kind of become much more aware of what's going on. I'd write everything down and, I'd, and save it for later. But that moment, 
in the church was a real eureka moment for me. It just instantly came together in my mind, and I started writing furiously. I hadn't worked like for like a month, and then it all hit me. I flew back to Seattle for Michael Wilton's wedding three or four months later, and I saw the guys and explained the idea. Once Chris was into the concept, it was easier to get everyone else on board. As for Nikki's romantic interest, Sister Mary, Tate pulled her from one of the more unsettling images he witnessed while on tour. Quote, She was inspired by a woman I saw in a disco in Amsterdam while I was on tour. It was four in the morning, and this pounding industrial stuff was coming out of the speakers, and everyone was frantically sweating. And I spotted this woman in a nun's outfit. She was alone, dancing in slow motion, holding a teddy bear with tears streaming down her face. I'll never forget that. She became Sister Mary. That's the pattern for everything I do. I remember things. <laughs> wow. That's cool. I think there was something in the book that alluded to these guys from suburban Washington toward the world and realized that things were a bit scarier and less reliable than they were back home and people had difficult lives. Hmm. I think that made a big impact on Jeff, which is why he refers to Nikki and Mary as street kids, because on tour, they actually met street kids. Not related to the story, but related to completing and releasing the album that I would like to read into. This is from the remaster CD. Not that it all seemed that way at first. The band was overjoyed with the results of the recording sessions. Operation Mindcrime was everything they wanted it to be. But within a week of turning it into the label, they were dealing with unhappy executives who didn't like the sound of the record. The mixes made them very uncomfortable, and it took engineer Jimbo Barton to straighten things out with the label and get it released untouched. He had executed one of the very first digital mixes in finishing the record, and experienced ears had at first balked at its crisp intensity. That's an interesting mm -hmm. aspect, because, again, we were talking about how delightful this album sounds, how timeless the production, but I guess in 1988, it, it maybe wasn't. It, it was out there. I mean, it was dark. It still is, I think. I assumed always that's why they ended up in Gladwin, probably because they had an early edition of a Sony 24 track, and then they finished it off in Canada, or likewise, they just needed that same machine. Let's add some of our own hyperbole here. Let's. Because one of the things, and it, and it was it was actually quite amazing. I don't know if we can top this is the greatest concept album that I'm aware <laughs> of. I mean... <laughs> But, but we can explore why that is. And, and one of the things that really sets me off about this, and when we talk about concept albums, you know, obviously we know of Pink Floyd and Genesis and Yes and, you know, The Who and, and all of the, the big ones. But we've, I've, I've specifically made the connection throughout you know, the early parts of this Queensryche segment, you know, about the influence of Pink Floyd. Jeff Tate himself speaks to being into to Floyd as well as the others. One of the things that really comes together here, and I've beaten this drum and it's going to sound boring and repetitive, but the sound design aspect and the way they're able to bring 
those various things in, and we'll get to that when we talk about the actual tracks themselves, but it is sublime the way they're able to do it. And I would argue that as good as Pink Floyd is at this, this is as good or better. I remember the day I was in Tom's bedroom and he put in Dr. Feelgood and I was shocked at the at the fact that the hospital sounds were the exact same, like from the exact same sound design CD. Right, Tom? Well, right. yeah, actually, I remember being at Morningstar and Ken played um, a sound design disc that had all this stuff on it. And that was when I was first introduced to sort of like canned sound design. Yeah. And I remember Ken was so excited when he found these. And he, we, we all sat in the in the in the uh, control room of, of Morningstar and listen to them and um that that was exciting but i it's so funny paul i i, I don't remember listening to dr feelgood in my bedroom <laughs> we were <laughs> we we were yeah that was when we were getting ready for the prom and we were doing all of our own sound design you remember we we did that instrumental with all the sound design elements that i think ken put together and and we were timing it out. And for whatever reason, you know, you put that on and I was like, wait a second, they stole that from Queensryche. How, how is that possible? <laughs> wow. Okay. The, I, the, I remember the moment that I realized that, that in my mother's Buick century, uh, the, the machine that operated the automatic window was the same machine that is, basically recorded at the beginning of sweet sister mary oh. and and every time i'd roll down the window i would i would just think to myself kill her that <laughs> 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 is just so um so yeah. much so much fun yeah yeah i mean we, we talked a lot about this during rage for order but the difference between rage for order and this they really incorporated the sound design into the music to be more subliminal like to like mix it with the a drum sound or to really um, combine it with other uh, organic sounds and sort of make something completely unique. You know, they, they did use some canned stuff, but then they also use some of their own stuff to really incorporate uh, sound design to sort of push the, the story forward. And um, that is something new that they that they did and i thought it was very successful even from the beginning <clears throat> when we hear the big crowd sounds um when it's uh, it's not revolution calling but it's like in the beginning of the album and we're 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 hearing the big war <clears throat> of the crowd and it's and, and you can tell that it's not a concert roar i mean you, it, it feels yeah it, it feels like, like a mom. Yeah, right. it feels like a mob, you know. Yeah. So they they just didn't put anything in there, you know. Maybe they put something in there to start for for filler to kind of say, okay, this is what I want. But um, you know, they they really took their time with the stuff, and um, yeah, it's you know things like the the window and the all, all the things that are in there are, are so are so well done. It's not like they're wearing things on their sleeve where they're just like, oh, we're going to geek out and we're going to put this in here. Everything was really well done, and, and it was sort of done to the point, like quick and to the point. And, and that's really what a lot of 
this album, uh, the success of this album is that they, they don't waste a lot of time. And mm. there are very distinct things that they do and to, to push the story forward, much like in a cinematic way, in, in, a, like in, a, in a movie uh, where there isn't like, you know, didactic dialogue or, you know, something yeah. like that that just sort of like meanders. Everything, everything that we hear is pertinent information um, story-wise. And uh, there, there's so many aspects of this album that are successful. We can talk about the music, we can talk about the production, we can talk about the live, you know, show. But, you know, a big part of Operation Mindcrime is, is the story. And story-wise, uh, it, it's, it's very strong. And, uh, and, and, and the sound design is, is a big part of that. I think it culminates in Sweet Sister Mary, all, all of those, those elements. But when you talk about perpetuating the story, I mean, like, like it's, not just, it's not just sound effects, right? It's not just the, the rainstorm, that, right. which is amazing. It carries through the verses, Right, like you're listening to the rain still, like while he's outside singing, describing what's going on, you're hearing the rain. But there's also you're also hearing elements of the streets. But there's also a choir singing in the background. You you don't you almost don't even realize it. You know, there's there's a choir and there's cellos, and they're they're musical within the the part of the music but they're almost separate they are part of the sound design and and i think that's part of what makes operation mindcrime timeless and it's what has influenced generations of music because we've talked about I, we were talking about during the fish catalog we were like oh and then comes in the uh, the uh, sweet sister mary uh, chorus yep. right the, the <laughs> choir i mean it it is a it is a it is a moment in time that's like no other in rock music and anytime you hear something like it 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 hearkens this moment and it's, it's fantastic you, know, you just open a can of worms without going too much in the sweet sister mary so i have a lot of other things to say about sweet sister mary but i'm gonna wait <laughs> that, that that sweet sister mary may be all of episode three <laughs> sweet, uh, oh, don't even get me started if you get me started, I'm just uh, I'm just gonna go crazy. Well, let let let's just let's hold off on Sweet Sister Mary because I think we all have we have a lot to say. I, I can't even get hyperbolic about Sweet Sister Mary, but but let's not do that. Another question that I'd like to sort of pose to the group uh, and and Paul as sort of our collective memory: We saw Queensrÿche open for Def Leppard. Was it in support of this record or? Was it? It was. Okay. It was. But to be to be fair, I I did not make it to the show because I could not get a ride back to Millersville from uh, and had to or to or to the show from Millersville. I do remember, however, sitting in my dorm room at um, eight p.m. precisely, blasting Operation Mindcrime to myself uh, wow. while you guys were there. What was? Oh, okay. And and again, I I remember. Was this when you almost got into the accident? No, nah, that was that was the first. So that was when we so, saw Tesla open, wasn't it? Oh yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was, and we were in like the third row, and we saw Tesla open for Def Leppard when like nobody gave a shit about Def Leppard or Hysteria. That was during our scene. That was like the fall of our senior year. This was like the fall of the next year. So, so Tom, it would have. I guess it would have been your senior year of, of high school. We were freshmen in college, and then Def Leppard came around like for their third time. 
at the Spectrum and Queensryche, Queensryche Open, but I missed I missed that. And, and, and again, I I'll saw just... two nights in a row. I just had to. Did you really? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, Def Leppard was in the round. Yep. Yeah, which, which yep. actually allowed you to be a bit closer to the band, no matter where you were. Which meant that we were a bit closer to Queensryche, and I just dug the setup. I dug Scott Rockenfeld's kit with the chains, and I dug the fact that off to Scott's left side and back was a keyboard set up for Jeff, and he actually played it. It was the coolest Mm. goddamn thing. I have searched Google for Jeff Tate in a Gold's Gym tank top and not found it and i You're can't kidding. believe it doesn't exist because there's that, t- there's, there's got to be tons of pictures ken he, i know at least one of those nights opening up for def leopard he wore a gold's gym tank top he he <laughs> like every every picture that he was ever in in like circus or hit parader he was wearing a gold's <laughs> a gold's t-shirt there, there got to be tons out there I think he, he he paid a lot of money to have them expunged from the internet. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm just going to quick throw this out there. It has, it has nothing to do with, you know, uh, the, the album per se, but I, I was really digging a Jeff Tate's band, Operation Mindcrime. Everything I heard today, um, I yeah. was actually yeah. looking forward to maybe even seeing him on tour. Like, I, I uh, it's sort of questionable that he would call his band Operation Mindcrime. It's sort of it, it, it there's it puts a stigma on it and like it's kind of weird but if you get past the stigma or you know what the name means operation mind crime um there is a really fresh sound that i've been missing since yeah. promised land and the only reason i'm bringing it up is because the the band's called operation mind crime <laughs> but um yeah. I, I i do look forward to hearing some of those uh, albums I, I almost wonder, <laughs> I'm going to place my tongue firmly in my cheek when I say this next statement. You wonder why Roger Waters didn't just call himself The Wall and be done with it. Ooh, damn it, can I say wow. that? Wow. <laughs> wow. No, it's it's a very good parallel. And, and yeah. it just so happens that that's what Jeff walked away with in divorce. He walked away with two words, operation. Mind crime, and, and and I think our friends Brian and James um, from the the authors of Building Empires sort of commented a little bit about that that it may not have been the best choice of a of a name for Jeff after after that. Like clearly, we know what he was trying to do, but it just basically signified that yeah, he's starting from scratch. And <laughs> we we are about ninety minutes into this recording. <laughs> And and we haven't we haven't provided any context or any particulars. What I would propose at this point, <laughs> because again, I I went into this knowing full well we weren't even going to come close to finishing this album. I, I, this this is exactly what what I wanted to do. Honestly, but you were were you prepared for us not even to start the album? Yes, <laughs> honestly, I was. Honestly, I was. Uh, because I I could have done ninety minutes without you guys, without even getting to the album. So so here's here's what I propose is that we we present the timeline of progressive rock. We bring in whatever metal uh, things we need to. 
I'll do the particulars. We'll cover any sort of last minute general items and we will save the actual music discussion, the, the, the track discussion for next episode. Fair? I, I like it. Great. Well, I, I, I'm honored that the timeline of progressive rock is now a cliffhanger. It is. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fantastic period where Peter Gabriel has released So. Genesis has released Invisible Touch, and then Queensryche releases Rage for Order 1986. What could possibly happen after this for the band Queensryche? And what in the world is going on with metal? in this period and what in the world is going on with Prague. Now with metal, I can tell you 1986 is also the year of master of puppets. And frankly, after master of puppets, every band should have done what that album did. It's just an amazing album. And I think it's actually better than, and justice for all, which we discussed at the beginning of this episode for good reason. Getting back I on track though, uh, let me just take one second. Ken, I have to say this. when I, 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 I'm actually agreeing with you. I actually agree with Ken. Mas <laughs> Master of Puppets is better than uh, Justice for All. So Master of Puppets could be You the agree best about some things. Absolutely. I, I agree as well. I, and I, I love Injustice for All, but I agree. Right, right, right. So, you know, what is going on in this period? Well, 1986, GTR, self-titled, and 1987, we get uh, Roger Waters' Radio Chaos, Merlion does Clutching at Straws, Pink Floyd does Momentary Lapse of Reason, Yes does Big Generator. And I will classify 1987 as the most controversial year ever because you have Big Generator lovers and Big Generator haters. You have Momentary Lapse of Reason lovers and Momentary Lapse of Reason haters. Clutching at straws, as beautiful it is, is the death of that phase of Marillion. So this is quite a controversial time in our genre. Hmm. Um, 1988 rolls around, and I think we're still a little uh, controversial. Um, King's X does Out of the Silent Planet. What is this happening? And within less than a month, of Out of the Silent Planet, we have Operation Mind Crime, May third, nineteen eighty-eight. Anything like what's what's the metal scene like in, in that in, in this era? Uh, all all the hyperbole and Rick Astley mentions aside. Well, I mean, we we owe it to ourselves. Hysteria is in this time frame, right? We owe Are it we to ourselves at some that point to do metal? Well. Wait a second. Are you classifying hysteria as metal, Joe? Come well, on. No, but it comes from a metal band. And and honestly, that connection right there, Paul, is going to come into play when we talk about perhaps the next album or two. Okay. okay. I, I don't I don't know that by his was See, this is where the funny part about the 80s was really fun. And it was one of the best things about coming of age in the middle of the 80s and and playing music as young teenagers in the middle of the eighties was awesome because we were playing, we were playing Iron Maiden, Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath. And at the same time we were playing Dokken, Bon Jovi. I don't know that we ever played Def Leppard, but you know, you could categorize that in there. 
Oh, you played and, Wasted. Well, uh, so so we did. You're right. So we did play Def Leppard. So yeah. I would I would say that in on through the night and even in in uh, Diver. What was the name of that? Uh, High and Dry. Holy High Diver. And dry. Oh. High and Dry. I would say they were one of the jean jacket wearing metal bands sure. from England. But after that, I, th- there was it's that um, there was that merge from metal to hair band metal, and there were those few crossover groups. I, I mean, that's a whole episode into itself. Like, like, oh, like you're ruining it. I was going to suggest our five year celebration episode was just a discussion of all the cover songs we used to do (laughs) i love it that would be that would be fantastic i i think we have an episode simply titled is def leppard a heavy metal band i mean (laughs) but any but yeah so it's it's a it's a fascinating time because it's it's quite possible that the fact that metal was was crossing over into the mainstream and in some instances, becoming mainstream, that possibly made something like Operation Mindcrime more accessible to the likes of a handful of suburban kids in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Well, I, I present that metal had sold out. So Hysteria is very corporate. It's Mutt Lang just piecing mm-hmm. together everything, edit by edit, piece by piece, making a, a corporate masterpiece. Uh, also that year, White Lion and Motley Crue did Girls, Girls, Girls. So it's it's not the metal that we grew up on. It's kind of the sellout version of metal, I hate to say. Yeah, I, I really think we're talking about hard rock with these uh, bands you guys are talking about. I know there's, I mean, it is sort of a, a trivial thing, but I mean, I... I I will maintain that Operation Mindcrime is, in fact, a heavy metal album. I, I, I'm, I, you know, yeah. we, we can have the argument on Empire and Promised Land, but I think this my Operation Mindcrime very clearly is. I would, I would sign off on that. Yep, I would agree. All right. So the particulars, as. This is funny. It's just so weird to hear you say that two hours and two minutes into this whole thing. (laughs) Paul, this is the greatest concept album of which I am aware. So, you know, accommodations must be allowed here. Oh, Jesus. I just lost my thing. All right. So the particulars. Um. Uh, Queensryche, Operation Mindcrime, released on May 3rd, 1988. So think about the wonderful story that we have about Tom coming into the CB West lobby and presenting this to us. We almost missed it. This was, what, a month away from us graduating from high school. We would not have had that moment. So thank you um, for, for getting this out when it did. It was uh, produced by Peter Collins and released on EMI Manhattan. The personnel. The musicians are Jeff Tate on lead vocals, keyboard, whistles, and blurbs. Chris DeGarmo, guitars, six-string electric, six- and 12-string acoustic, lap steel guitar, and guitar synthesizer. Michael Wilton, also on guitars, 
six string electric, six and 12 string acoustic, Scott Rockenfield on keyboard, track 10, drums and percussion, and Eddie Jackson on bass. The wikis are nice enough to bring together for us the cast, and that is Pamela Moore as Sister Mary, Anthony Valentine as Dr. X, Debbie Wheeler as the nurse, Mike Snyder as the anchorman, Scott Matier as Father William, and the Moronic Monks of Morin Heights as the choir. Now, the track listing is I Remember Now, Anarchy X, Revolution Calling, Operation Mind Crime, Speak, Spreading the Disease, The Mission, Sweet Sister Mary, The Needle Lies, Electric Requiem, Breaking the Silence, I Don't Believe in Love, Waiting for 22, My Empty Room, and Eyes of a Stranger. Operation Mindcrime is the third studio album by American heavy metal band Queensryche. Originally released on May 3rd, 1988, the album was reissued on May 6th, 2003 with two bonus tracks, and again in 2006 as a deluxe box set. Operation Mindcrime is both a concept album and a rock opera. Its story follows Nikki, a drug addict who becomes disillusioned with the corrupt society of his time and reluctantly becomes involved with a revolutionary group as an assassin of political leaders. In January 1989, it ranked at number 34 on Kerrang! magazine's 100 Greatest Heavy Metal Albums of All Time. Operation Mindcrime was Queensryche's breakthrough album, reaching number 50 on the Billboard 200, while its singles Eyes of a Stranger and I Don't Believe in Love served as the band's first charting hits in the United States. The album was certified by the RIAA as gold in early 1989 and was certified as platinum two years later. A sequel, Operation Mindcrime 2, was released on April 4, 2006. So it's it's interesting, right, to think, think about this is their third record third record third third full length record yeah yeah, yeah. Their, their third full length record and, and you know it's funny how if a how this can happen right because there's there's that window you need the first couple albums to to get your personnel sorted out figure out how to play your instrument how to produce stuff and somewhere between like albums three and five, like magic, if it's going to happen, usually materializes. If we think about, you know, the other biggies, right? So, yes, the Yes album was their third record. Um, Genesis was Nursery Crime. You know, it's things like that that mm. you see this this huge leap. It just so happens that Queensryche did it on steroids. I am curious what constitutes a concept album versus a rock opera, and how is it that Queensryche Operation Mindcrime is both? Well, Paul, if you would like to take a few moments to talk about that. I would. We can, if, there, uh, if there is indeed an answer to the There to that. is indeed an answer. Um, I just may take me a moment to get to it because there happen to be hyperlinks for both of those oh. terms. Wow. All right. So if, if we, if we go down the wiki rabbit hole and, and I'll just read the first part of, of concept album here, 
A concept album is an album whose tracks hold a larger purpose or meaning collectively than they do individually. This is typically achieved through a single central narrative or theme, which can be instrumental, compositional, or lyrical. Sometimes the term is applied to albums considered to be of, quote, uniform excellence, rather than an LP with an explicit musical or lyrical motif. There is no consensus among music critics as to the specific criteria for what a concept album is. Now, if we compare that to a rock opera, a rock opera is a collection of rock music songs with lyrics that relate to a common story. Rock operas are typically released as concept albums and are not scripted for acting, which distinguishes them from operas, though although several have been adapted as rock musicals. The, ver- the use of various character roles within the song lyrics is a common storytelling device. The success of the rock opera genre has inspired similar works in other musical styles, such as mm. rap opera. I guess by that definition, um, in the year 3073, books one through three would qualify as rock operas. It is really a rock opera. Yeah. Okay. Good to That's, know. This is wow. really interesting because... I, I was sort of giving Iron Maiden a hard time about calling Seventh Son of a Seventh Son a concept album because it's really um, a subject matter and they stay within that right. subject matter. And I was like, wow, is this really a concept album? Like, but um, now that you distinguish the two, um, you could call it a concept album, but it's not a rock opera. <laughs> so yeah, I guess right. maybe they're right. So, Joe, just to clarify, would would Queensryche's Operation Mindcrime be the greatest rock opera that you're aware of as well? Clearly. Or, okay. Without a doubt. <laughs> okay. Nothing else can hold Mindcrime's jockstrap. Wow. <clears throat> Tom, you, you make an excellent point in that, you know, I think – Maybe at the end of it, maybe as a separate episode, whatever, we do have to address the the live staging of this. And and mm-hmm. one of the things that I haven't had a chance to do is look at the, what was it, 2006 um, Mind Crime at the Moor, which I think actually presents both of them. So I, I haven't gotten through all of that yet. But, but I, I had a recent experience where I, I watched, you know, live crime and and it was it was generally moving and and there are some things that sort of distinguish it or at least allow it to be discussed separately so so yeah we definitely need to get to that um but here we are uh, almost 2 hours into gushing mostly about operation mindcrime and so we're going to have this episode as our preamble and next episode i'll be curious to see if we can get through all of the music in in one sit down my guess is probably not but mm. hey let's just see the 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 point is we've waited this long to do this and i think it's important to do this record right because i i feel it is so it's such an important record so i i want to thank you guys for all of your enthusiasm and and everything that you brought to the table tonight this was an awesome awesome conversation before we even get to the music itself which is just i think it speaks to how wonderful this record is and i can't wait to get into the tracks next week so thanks guys
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. What are your thoughts, generally speaking, on Operation Mind Crime? Are you on the edge of your seat to talk about the tracks individually in the next episode or two or three? We can't wait. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is ProgPala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcasts. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. Fucking A, Bubba. That was fun. That was fun. And I'm apparently really stupid and just like to buy cheap, trashy things that I really, really don't need. And I must have been excited about an upcoming Marillion release. I got myself a pink, sparkly Ibanez. Oh, dude. Wow. <laughs> dude, wait a second. Hold the phone. What? You, you, know, you have no idea. I...